Reef Therapy by Reef Builders is powered by ICP Analysis. What's in your water? Hey, Reef Builders, welcome to episode number 78 of the Reef Therapy Podcast. Today, we'll have a little reef therapy session to start, and then uh, we'll talk corals and more with our guest tonight, Mr. Keith Brokelheimer from the Reef Bum YouTube channel and the Wrapping with Reef Bum podcast. Before we move on, look down. If you're watching this on YouTube, if you're not subscribed, consider supporting the podcast by just clicking that button. That way you'll know when a podcast come out and um, you know, we're a perfect maintenance companion. I'll, t- I'll tell you that right now. Uh, I do want to start by saying thank you for bearing with us last week. We did have some scheduling conflicts and two thirds of us are, <laughs> are nursing and tending to wounds. Apparently, um, I had a wisdom tooth pulled and that was a whole thing. Uh, Raj, how are you feeling? <laughs> um, just dealing with back issues, but overall fairly good. You know, now I've just got to keep up with the physical therapy and entertain neurologists for back surgery. Mm. I had a torn meniscus a few months ago. <laughs> That's uh, I'm just throwing that out there. I, I had surgery on that. <laughs> That's an easy surgery. That one, that one's not too bad. <laughs> I didn't need the surgery. You know, it just, uh, I, I was able to do the exercises and, and, uh, work it and, you know, knock on wood, it's resolved itself. So we'll see. That's awesome. Is that a skiing injury? It was a non-skiing injury. Actually, it was just a um, squatting down in the house, and I overextended my knee, I believe. Felt a lot of pain. and uh, But it did impact me skiing, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Friggin' hurt. But <laughs> it's, it's, it's the worst thing now. That I mean, that's, knee that... <laughs> yeah, that's Sucks getting weird. older, right? Right, because we get injured now from for the dumbest things. You know, oh, I'll tell you, sleeping. I'll tell you, man. I, I, you know, I had COVID like it, uh, I don't know when it was a couple of years ago, and it just seemed like I was getting all these aches and pains, like coming out of the blue, six to twelve months after I had COVID. I don't, I don't know if it was COVID related or old age related, or maybe it was a combination of the two. But um, yeah, pretty weird stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of that uh, long-term stuff they don't know about, you know, at this mm-hmm. point, and, you know, some of the some of the side effects from from what COVID does to your body and all that. So, uh, I've been dealing with some like PVC heart stuff and I had my cardiologist even said he was like, you know, we've been seeing a lot of these younger uh, patients coming in with like heart murmur, PVC, you know, that kind of thing, just fluttering of heart and you know, I they don't have any conclusive anything on that, but it's just a hypothesis a hypothesis at this point, but a lot of wacky stuff that uh, doctors are seeing these days. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, let's get into what we're drinking. What, what, uh, we'll start with you, Keith. What are you drinking tonight? Uh, this is one of my favorites. It's a, uh, it's a double IPA. Heady Topper from the Alchemist uh, Brewery in Waterbury, Vermont. It's actually, if you look it up, an award-winning... IPA, you know, nationally, it's won awards nationally. It's that good. <laughs> wow. Wow. Real tasty. Fancy. Raj, what do you got? <laughs> i got a little something special from Baltimore, Maryland. Can you see that? Oh, sweet wow. Baby he did Jesus. it. Yeah, the, the sweet, sweet baby, baby Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> I found it. <laughs> My boy Jeff found it for me. What on earth? <laughs> does it taste like 
I'm about to find out. I just want to know what it tastes like. Well, it's supposed well, to taste like peanut I'm, butter. I'm, what kind of beer chocolate is a sweet baby butter. Jesus? It is a chocolate peanut butter porter recommended Whoa. by one of our uh, one of our listeners. <laughs> that uh, that sounds like dessert. And it tastes like uh, chocolate. Um, not heavy peanut butter, but there's a, there's a hint in there. It's actually quite good. A lot better than I like protein uh, than smoothie imagined. consistency. <laughs> it, is, it is thick. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I'm just be drinking water tonight, guys, because yeah, I uh, my oral surgeon says I can't drink yet. So yeah. that Ouch, video of you mouth. was awesome. By the way, <laughs> <laughs> what uh, video was this? I missed you don't it. Know what he's talking about? My wife. <laughs> My wife took video of me after the surgery and, uh, you know, you know, the, you're coming out of anesthesia. You don't really know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And she was like, I have to, we just pulled over in the parking lot, I guess. And she just started asking me questions. And apparently I decided to shoot my shot on the today show and try to get on with like Hoda and Al Roker and, uh, (laughs) I'm so loopy (laughs) in the entire thing. So nice hope uh glad that i could entertain everybody else (laughs) but uh for the next four or five days after that i was in pain and you know drinking boost to stay alive which oh sounds like a lot of part of the wisdom tooth surgery yeah the the worst part was just not being able to eat food i think that was the the, these were um how many wisdom teeth did you have pulled I just had one pulled, uh, which is awesome. I'm 38. I had one, my back right one um, erupted. And mm. so I went to go get a cleaning earlier this year. And they were like, tink, 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 with their little, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, the scraper. Didn't sound right. Used. And he's like, oh, it looks like you got a little wisdom wisdom tooth coming in here. And I was like, yeah. oh, no, I, I've, I've escaped this for so long. And I, we're sitting in the chair of the oral surgeon, like, and she's kind of doing the consultation with me. And she said, you have a total of three, uh, two up and only one on the bottom. And the two uppers are so deep. She's like, I don't want to put you through that. I don't think they're going to come in. You can't quote me on that, but sometimes I do see 65, 75-year-olds in here getting wisdom teeth out, but <laughs> I think you should be. I think you should be okay. Uh, so at least now I know what to expect for next time if, uh, if that does happen, but hopefully. Yeah, it, it sucks. I, I had um, uh, two of my wisdom teeth never came in. One did, and they pulled it, and it wasn't that bad. I've got another one that's you know in, and they keep talking about taking it out. I was like, yeah. You know, it seems good to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if it's not giving you trouble, I don't, no. I don't understand why you no. want to take that out. But. Yeah. Money talks. That's for sure. Um, yep. Raj, you want to start off the therapy portion of, of tonight? Anything reef-related, industry, or otherwise you would like to get off your chest <laughs> in this moment? Um, God, I'm, a, I'm a bit frustrated. I haven't done made any progress on my tank. Um, I've been window shopping, though. So looking at light options and then corals and God, there's so many crazy corals and it's, it's the tank isn't huge. And so the list of all these corals that I want is never going to fit in that tank. And I'm back, like I'm having these flashbacks for when I set up my office cube where 
I thought it was going to be great and easy because it was a smaller tank. This was, um, I think, a 50 or 75 gallon. I don't even remember uh, anymore. But I ran out of room so quickly in there. And what was supposed to be a lot of fun ended up just really pissing me off because I couldn't add stuff. And now uh-huh. I haven't even started putting anything in this. And I'm getting to that point where um, there's just so much cool stuff out there. I'm getting aggravated that I can't add it all. I want it all. How do I get it all? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Keith has it all. <laughs> oh, no. No, no. I, uh, I do not have it all. But, uh, yeah, I know, I know the feeling is uh, it's, it's like you, you run out of room, real estate really quickly. You know, it happens so quick. Yep. This could be a uh, mixed reef tank, Raj. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's just, I don't know. I'd love to do just something specific, but I can't do it. I just like too many things. I like variety. Mm -hmm. I like the colors. I love movement. It has to be a mixed reef. Yeah. But we'll see. I'm a stickhead myself, but I do have some of the uh, the movie things in my uh, in my tanks, and it's always funny. You get people that come and visit the house and whatnot, and take a look at the tanks. And you know, I I I have a great collection of the SPS and the Acropor and all that stuff, but the one or two LPS that I have, the movie things, people are like, man, I love that. It looks so cool. I'm like, okay, well, you know. <laughs> Yep, sweet toadstool, man. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they get drawn to the stuff that moves. Yeah. 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 I've been doing that kind of kind of that same thing as uh, the tank behind me, the Red Sea 625. Um, I'm getting to the point now where, you know, we're, we're about ready to put water in it, but I've been doing the same thing, window shopping at the local fish store, you know, dropping those little like, hey, you get any, you know, wild yellow tanks in, uh, any purple tank. I really want, you know, purple, yellow, gem, all those guys. Uh, so I've been, I've been doing some window shopping as well. Um, yeah, you got to get the tang gang you, together. I, I was just going to say, you got to get that tang gang yeah. together all at once, you know. That's always seems to yeah. be the best uh, course it's of action. It's expensive venture. Yeah. So we always do a therapy part on the front of the podcast keith so if you have anything you want to get off your chest uh, that could be any like new builds or equipment stuff that you're going through right now or any pests or anything like that what's going on in your world you know i've been fighting cyano in one of my systems for a couple of years and i'm just really trying to stay true in terms of not hitting it with chemicals so i've been just trying to do the good old elbow grease with the fight on cyano and um you know that that can get uh, to be a tough road because you got to really do a lot of work in terms of manual removal of the cyano and try to keep the nutrients in check and and uh, you know there's just so many different variables and so many different things in play that could potentially be causing you know cyano so you know I'm dealing with that it's not crazy cyano it's not like to the point where I I have to like hit it with chemicals because the tank is just you know, crazy in terms of corals getting covered by the stuff. This was the, uh, the system where I rebooted my 187 gallon tank. It was chock full of corals. I had just so many, uh, SPS in that tank and even some, uh, Ghani's and Alveopora in that tank. And it was just, everything was just, uh, growing at a great clip. So it was to the point where I needed to do something to reset the tank because, you know, when you start getting corals growing a lot, 
they start choking out the neighboring corals, and then you get a few corals that dominate. So I, I made the call to uh, to do a complete reset on the uh, on the tank, and you know it certainly went through some of its um, growing pains at the beginning. It's been about nine ten months now, and you know I think it's it's definitely settled down a lot in that sense. So it's um, it's been interesting. And my other system, my Peninsula tank system, I'm starting. I was starting to get some cyano in that system as well too. So you know it's a it's a bit of a uh, a challenge to uh to tackle that stuff but i try not to go with the uh the easy quick fix which can be very tempting <laughs> so is that the is that the only reason why you wouldn't use just a chemi clean is because you kind of want the challenge of it or is there another reason behind that i'm worried about the impact on the microbiome to be uh completely honest and frank with you you know i know that um there, you know, there. I, I believe there's stuff in there that can impact the microbiome, and I've, I've heard of some folks that have done testing with ChemiClean with the Aquabiomics test and have found that it has impacted the microbiome. So, you know, listen. I know a lot of folks have used um, ChemiClean and other stuff to eradicate cyano, and it, a lot of folks report not having any issues. And if you follow directions to the T, then um, you shouldn't have any uh, major issues. So. But I also truly believe that unless you solve the issue that is causing the problem, the cyano itself, that it will eventually come back. So that's, you know, that's kind of like the quest that I'm on in terms of trying to pinpoint exactly what's going on in terms of the cause of that. Well, that's, that's the right path. That's the right way yeah. to tackle this, right? Because, I mean, if you're, if you're going the antibacterial, um, Antibacterial antibiotics. route, yeah. antibiotic routes. Thank you. Just having a major brain fart here. Uh, if you go with antibiotics, you're it's a, it's broad spectrum. It's not just targeting that one thing. It's going to take out a, a large number of bacteria, good and bad. Uh, it, and that just seems like a slacker way of doing it. Like you don't want to actually fix the root of the problem. You're just going to napalm the tank and and go from there. Like you said, it's, it's just going to cycle back and then you're going to have that issue again because you didn't really correct that root issue. Yeah, it, it's complicated. There's a lot of things going on. You know, it's it's um, it, it's the cyano is is a um, it's a bacteria issue. Right. It's not a um, it's not a algae issue per se. So there could be a lot of things at play. And, you know, the thing with the cyano, it's like. How old is cyano? I mean, it's like one of the oldest living organisms in the world. <laughs> it's gotten pretty yeah. smart over time. <laughs> and it's pretty spectacular in the way that it operates and the way that it can leach um, the nutrients that it needs, you know, I mean, or that it can absorb those nutrients that it needs. It, it's, if you really look at it, it doesn't even need those nutrients in the water. It can pull it from the air. Uh, and that just alone is mind-blowing to think that it's evolved in such a way that it's it's going to fight you every step of the way yeah. and more than likely win most of the time. And, you know, I, I don't know if I've ever had a tank where it's just been completely gone forever. <clears throat> you know, it's one of those things that is always pops up from time to time. If it's a little spot and you see it and you can vacuum it out, but there, there's always something lingering. Yeah, you know, and I think that's the key is not to freak out if you're finding, you know, a spot of cyano here, a spot of cyano 
there. It's it's that's you know I can deal with that and I can manage that. And um, I think it's when it gets to kind of like that next level, where it is um, potentially impacting the corals, and then you're spending you know uh, a good hour every other day siphoning it out, and you're doing water changes or you're running the water through a filter sock or whatever you're doing becomes a pain in the ass, right? And that's not fun. Yeah. So you don't want to have your joy of reef keeping ruined, but there's always something that you're dealing with with a reef tank. It's never, at least for me, you know, you're never on cruise control. It's, 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 um, yeah. I think you're delusional if you think, if you think it's always <laughs> going to be, you know, that way. But yeah, that's why my experience. D don't yeah. listen to him, kids. I know this we is have a, a very lot of, easy uh, hobby. Get into it. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I know we have a lot of advanced aquarists that listen to this podcast, but we also have, I feel like a lot of beginners that come in. And I remember when I first began, I was like, is there ever going to be a point in this hobby where it's just kind of like cruise control? And as you hear Keith, who's an OG reefer here, you know, still has and battles with the same common things that the beginner does and the advanced aquarist does. So it's always going to be out there. There's always going to be some sort of obstacle or challenge. That's just, you know, part of the fun of this, right? <laughs> I guess my, my main, main point for those that might be new to the hobby or, or, um, you know, have similar experiences in terms of finding stuff like this is don't jump to the easy way out right away. You know, I think it's important to really try to understand what's going on, try to dig in, roll up your sleeves, use that elbow grease to help solve that issue and, and just stick to good sound fundamentals in terms of doing water changes, making sure you're siphoning out detritus, um, you know, not letting the nutrients build up and however, you know, you, you can do that. But, um, you know, just hitting, hitting a tank with a quick fix is um, I think just, you're going to be a kind of an endless loop. Yeah. And there's yeah, a lot of uh, snake sure. oil products out there. Uh, for this particular problem too. Indeed. Mm. <laughs> there, yeah, there, there are a lot of snake oil products out there, period, but there are period, but you know, for, especially for stuff like this, like you, you, you see it for ick, you see it for just algaes, different bacterias, different issues like that. But, the, but those are easy ones to get suckered into because it's to do it right. It isn't the easiest thing. So what's what's your method? How are you how are you tackling it? How are you removing the siphon? How am I? Uh, so this is um, this is interesting. So you know I mentioned the siphoning, and that that's that's a big part of it is manual. When do you removal. siphon? When do I siphon? Uh, like every other day, you know, um, when the lights are on, middle of the day or what have you, I'm, I'm siphoning. I, I I pulled the sand out of the. Um, the display tank on this system because it was just um, getting a little tougher to get the cyano off the sand beds. And I keep crappy sand beds anyway. They're always like a mess. You know, I, I, I like sand beds because I like, you know, to keep leopard wrasses. So I always had sand beds, but my, my leopard wrasses for some reason, one after the other um, over the past few years just um, perished. So I had no more wrasses. So I was like, you know what? I like a lot of flow. I like SPS dominant tanks. I like the acros. So I'm going to pull the sand bed. It's just becoming, um, it'll be more manageable for me to um, fight the cyano, to get the detritus out there. And it's worked, you know, in that sense, the cyano was a lot less. Um, it's not as bad as it was before when I had a sand bed. 
And it's and it's certainly easy because you can kind of see in, in this particular tank, it's the detritus is collecting in a couple of spots, and it's real easy to get in there and suck it out. The um, the other thing that I'm doing is, and I'm going to have um, Claude Schumacher from Fauna Marine on as a guest in in a couple of weeks on on wrapping with a reef bum and and so I've been working with with Claude. He firmly believes that. Um, Cyano can also be due to high levels of fluoride, bromide, or, or iodine. And I have some really, really high elevated levels of iodine. And so Claude has, um, you know, he, 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 he believes that the high iodine that I have in the system is one of the root causes of the uh, cyano. Um, scientifically, I'll, I'll, I'll um, you know, I'd have to defer to him in terms of why that is the case. But... Presently, I am working to drive those iodine levels down. So I had been dosing iodine, and so I've stopped dosing over the last few weeks. I had also been feeding some nori because I have a lot of tangs in the, uh, in the system. And Claude also pointed out to me that nori can be high in iodine as well, or is high in iodine. So I'd been feeding huh. a ton of nori, so I've stopped doing that as well. My tangs are pissed, but... <laughs> so with just that change, did you see anything, any difference with the, I, I've seen, I've seen less cyano, you know, and it's, it's going to take patience. It's going to take time for all that stuff to kind of work its way out. You know, at the beginning it, it got a little worse, but you know, again, a reef tank is so dynamic and there's so many different factors that are coming into play. So it, it when you stop doing something, if you've been dosing iodine or if you've been feeding a lot of nori or whatever you're doing, if, I stopped dosing uh, some amino acids as well. That uh, the tank is kind of like in a uh, in a reset stage. It's kind of recalibrating. So it's not going to be something that you know I'm expecting to see instantaneously. It's something that will hopefully happen over the long haul in terms of the changes that I'm making. That's a good OG statement right there. <laughs> <laughs> That's a that's a good project. I feel like for somebody to do would be go through all of the you know the frozen foods and the nori and the all the things that we're putting into our tank that are you know organic in nature and see which uh, trace elements are coming in or which elements are coming into the tank via those things that you wouldn't really think. It's just food, right? It's just food, but no, it's high in X, Y, and Z, and it's causing X, Y, and Z. I think that'd be really interesting. I didn't know that about the nori. That's that's uh, interesting. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know that about the nori either. And and there, and it might have been coming in from other sources because I had this homemade fish food, coral food that I put together, and I had just um, been throwing pretty much everything in that, like shrimp, scallops, um, a bunch of different types of uh, fish that I picked up at the um, at the supermarket. There was nori in there. Um, I think I had some reefroids in there, some garlic extract, some spirulina powder. I mean, there was like a whole bunch of stuff I had in this, um, this fish food and there could have been, you know, something else in there that was high in iodine perhaps. But so I stopped, I stopped feeding that, um, that food a couple of, um, you know, like a, about a week ago and now I'm feeding a, um, a straight up food that I made out of salmon, shrimp, and scallops so very simple type of um fish and coral food and and the, the good thing about the salmon and, and this is um a recipe that i got from dong zoe's i've had on, on on the show as a guest on my show who um said it's uh salmon's very high in omega f fatty acids i think 
which is yep. a good thing for the uh, for the corals. It's almost like you're you're dosing amino acids when you're feeding that food. Yeah, very cool. The uh, homemade food thing is. Uh, I, I'm always. I, I don't know why I've always been nervous to do it. I just feel like I'm going to get the wrong thing, and then all of a sudden, every, everything's out of whack. But I think there's been enough people that do that. Do you do you say? I'm telling you, man. Do do, do one part higher quality. You, do one part salmon, one part scallops, and do shrimp if you want to, and you're good to go. It's a very rich um, food, and, and I bought these um, little miniature ice cube trays that are probably like uh, half an inch in terms of the cubes in there. And I put, you know, so I put the, um, I put all the uh, those ingredients into a blender. Well, it was a um, food processor. And, and blended it all up in the food processor. And I put it in these, um, you know, little mini ice cube trays. And I got tons of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I got, a, I got a, a, a lifetime supply of this food. But it's, um, you know, saves money, too. Although <laughs> salmon's not cheap. That's, you know, that's the one thing I guess you got to say. Salmon's not yeah. cheap. Well, the quality of the seafood makes a big difference, too. Because one of the biggest contaminants that you're going to find is formaldehyde, right? They treat mm -hmm. the fish with formaldehyde and uh, because of all the parasites and whatnot. And so introducing that into your fish is not going to do them any favors either. So the source uh, and quality of the seafood is important. But then again, you, you've got your labor to consider. You know, how much time does it take for you to and this and store and the wife how, getting how much yes does it wife getting how pissed. much did you get yelled at <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you have to buy Messing up a that dedicated <laughs> food processor because you're not using her nice one. Oh yeah no i've got right? my own so, <laughs> yeah right but it's that mess in the kitchen too <laughs> good um, food processor the yeah. other thing about um that i learned about uh frozen foods well fish food and in, in, uh, fish i guess frozen fish in general is that um companies soak it in phosphate i think that's uh, an fda thing where they um the stuff gets soaked in phosphate i can't remember the reason off the top of my head um might be some well, there's a lot of things that they do too i mean they they soak it in different things to make it heavier so they can sell it to you for more yeah uh, right they do that with all the meats you know you can see the cheaper let's just pick on chicken breasts the chicken cheaper chickens they, they they're larger but they're filled with water uh, salt water. I mean, it's, it's a brine solution, right? So that's yep. present in all the foods that we have. Um, if they're farm raised fish, are they using hormones? What are they using in that water itself to treat? Because these, a lot of these farms are not in very good condition. You, you've, they're overloading these farm systems with fish and they don't really care uh, about the quality of the water and they don't really care that the, the fish are in there in too tight of a spot and the water's not clean mm -hmm. or, or any of that or if there's parasites they just need to get the fish large as they can as quick as they can so they can get it to market yeah and, and then what, the other thing i was going to say in terms of making the uh, the homemade fish food with that recipe the uh, the thing that you want to do is when you buy the um the salmon or the scallops and the shrimp or whatnot to soak it in tap water for like an hour to let the um the phosphate um you know just to, to re help remove that phosphate or else you'll have something that'll um be adding more phosphate than you sure. want it to the tank and do you do that in uh, the fridge because the temperature is a big thing you know seafood goes bad very very quickly yeah yeah um, seafood's just so tricky but the, yeah uh, monterey bay aquarium 
uh, on their website, they have a fantastic resource on seafood, like where the good, mm. where the good stuff is, the sustainable fish. Um, so if you're looking to do this or just looking in general on what to eat, that's a good, great place to look. Yeah, I think it's a great idea, you know, to kind of um, try to figure out ways to save money in the hobby. It's not a cheap hobby. So if, if you can go ahead and try to make your own food versus going out there and, and buying prepared um, frozen food, then, um, you know, go for it if you can manage it. Just a quick question on what type of salmon do you go for? I don't think it matters that much. Um, okay. I think um, I think whatever you could find at the supermarket, that's not going to break the bank. <laughs> you know, I think anything that's on sale, salmon wise, is uh, is uh, is okay. So my biggest thing has been the Red Sea tank, uh, the six twenty five behind me, and there's. I, I will say that the leveling process took a long time. Um, you know, the, all the feet on the bottom of these stands, it's like you adjust one and then everything around it adjusts as well. Uh, and by the end of it, you've adjusted so many leveling feet. You're just like, okay, it's, it's close enough to level now. I think we're good. <laughs> um, I did take a lot of advice on Aquascape. Um, that was a, the thing we talked about in the last episode was, you know, what should I do with the aquascape of this thing? And Roger, I remember you mentioning something like, man, two feet isn't a whole lot of room depth wise. And I was like, oh, come on. It's like the, <laughs> it's probably the deepest tank that I've ever had. And I get into the aquascape and you're right. It's like, there's no way to, to do whatever valley you're talking about, you know, to any extent. And yep. uh, it just, the space fills up pretty quickly. So, um, that's, Told you to that, go big. That, I think was the biggest struggle, but I talked, yeah, I, I talked to Mark uh, a little bit. I sent him some pictures. Tyler, my buddy here in St. Louis, Blaine, who's over at TSA, Kevin Berta, who is over at TSA and like does aquascaping on the side at TSA and actually sells his aquascapes. That's how good he is. And uh, Unorthodox Reef, Jason, I sent pictures to all of these guys and finally came up with something at the end and actually watched some of your uh some of your aquascaping videos keith with the uh life rock that you did yeah so um it's it's just it, it's you got to get in there and tinker with it and i feel like you, you can't overthink it i think that's my main takeaway from this en entire <laughs> thing since this is the biggest tank that i've ever escaped before overthinking it will only just lead to more changes and more changes and it honestly doesn't matter because it's all really going to be covered in coral over time anyway. exactly like that's the goal right your peninsula keith like your peninsula i remember seeing that with just rock in it and you know just seeing it behind you earlier tonight I mean, you can't see any rock at all anyway so it's it's an over it's an overthought process i think a lot of times i think you know in terms of aquascaping you know, years ago when I first started in the hobby, you know, it was kind of like the thing to do was to aquascape a brick wall. You know, you just had, I think it was like two pounds of rock per gallon, something crazy like that. So you had a whole ton of rock, you know, in a reef tank and it was just kind of like no rhyme or reason. You just kind of stacked the rock up on top of one another and, and it was like this brick wall. And then it, um, it evolved, you know, over time to the, uh, to the minimalist, um, bleh, to the, uh, 
minimalistic aquascape. So less was um, became more, and that was became a true uh, art form, right? I mean, it's just it's it's amazing what people can do. But the key thing to remember, though, is like what you just said, Remy, is that if you do things right, the corals are going to cover all that rock anyway. I think the, the the keys for me are don't lay the rock. If you got flat rock, don't lay that flat rock on the bottom. Try to like you know have um, little caves and, and little things where the uh, circulation kind of go through and detritus can blow through. You don't want to like have these detritus traps. So you want it to be practical in that sense. If you've got like arches, maybe put an arch on the bottom. So you've got a like nice little uh, swim through for fish or something like that. You know, be practical that way. But I, yeah, I agree. Don't obsess in terms of the uh, final product. I have a hard time with that. I have to obsess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the beauty of the hobby. There, Raj. <laughs> Did you go with sand or no sand? Oh, me. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do bare bottom on this. You going, okay. Yeah. I thought about uh, doing. I thought about some people had suggested starboard, um, putting starboard on the bottom of the tank yeah, to kind of get because it, it can be. You can order it speckled, and it can kind of give that sand vibe. Another reason is to protect the bottom glass just in case, you know, rock falls or whatever. It, you have an extra layer of protection there. But I think I'm going to, um, I'm, I'm going to pass on that on this tank and just go with the glass because I would want black anyway, and it's going to turn purple eventually because I'm probably going to get lazy with scraping coralline off the bottom anyway. So, um, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, I'll, I'll, I'm definitely going bare bottom on the big tank. Uh, Carib Sea sent a whole bunch of sand, but that sand I think is going to go in my four foot build that I have, nice. you know, kind of on deck and waiting in the wings. So I don't know. I, I, I took a lot of advice from a lot of different sources and, uh, you know, finally came up with something that I feel like is, is gonna, is gonna go well. I really want this to be an SPS dominant tank. It would be my first like full on SPS dominant tank. So I realized that that's going to take some time to to build and to you know mature the tank a little bit before i can just stick a whole bunch of colonies in there but uh you can kind of see in in the video that i posted on youtube on the reef builders channel you can see where i started with escape and where i ended with escape and they are two totally (laughs) different things uh it's kind of funny some of the pictures that i sent my buddy here in in st louis go from like one scape and he's like oh yeah i like that and then i'm like sending him a a picture of an entirely different look in the next picture. So, um, I don't know. I, I'd always suggest just getting other people's opinions if, if you're unsure or just need some other ideas. So I think that really, that really helped a lot, but what do you think I should do? Do you think I should leak test this thing first before I cable manage and get all the stuff set up on it? Or do you think that uh, I should just get it all ready to roll and then put the water in? No way. Absolutely. Hydro test that thing. Mm-hmm. There's nothing worse than buttoning everything up, firing up, and then you realize that either a piece of equipment doesn't work or you've got a leak in the, some plumbing or just some issue, and then you have to undo everything. And the moment you have to undo all of that wiring and then put it back together, it's never put back right. It's never put back the same because you're already aggravated at that point. So you don't take the care to put it back properly. Or use maybe that's R- just me. Use RODI water to to do the leak test. I don't like the I don't like to put yeah. the uh, salt we, water in we there. Kind of dis- we discussed See, it last time, and Mark had said Jake would have told you to just stick a hose in there. 
Yeah, I, yeah, I would. Like tap I would just go straight tap. <laughs> I would go straight tap as the the water testing, but then I would get it all get it all out and go clean salt water yeah. to actually run it. I know people will fire up their tanks with. I mean, public aquariums do this all the time, right? They just go straight tap water and have at it. But we're dealing with smaller, more delicate systems. I think we could take the time to do RO on our initial fill. But for the hydro test, yeah, just tap water is good. Stick a hose in it. it yeah, it also depends, yeah. I guess, on the size of I've the system, too. right here that I can just... Oh, there you go. Run the hose through it. Yep. Yep. So when you, when you guys aquascape... Yeah. I mean, this is, is it, how do you do it? Is it quiet? Are you listening to music? Is it a specific type of music? Are you listening to reef therapy like you should be? Um. (laughs) (laughs) No, the music kind of confuses the thoughts in my head. I think, um, I don't know. I mean, I've never, I I can't recall like listening to music and aquascaping at the same time. That might be a pretty good idea. Hmm. Raj, I might have to try that, uh, the next time, but, um, yeah, I've um, the peninsula tank that I, I aquascaped that with with live rock, and um, so it wasn't terribly difficult because it was really just two layers of live rock. I, you know, it's a two hundred twenty five gallon tank, and I had um, I put one hundred pounds of live rock in there, so there was no putting the rock together with you know mortar or putty or super glue or anything like that. It was just pretty much I stacked. You know, I had one base layer and then I'd put another, um, you know, set of rocks on top of that and just kind of try to put it in a way, you know, stack it in a way that it was as stable as possible with the thought in mind that the corals would be the glue. You know, once the corals, the frags, you know, the SPS uh, frags grew, that they would be the glue for those rocks. And that's pretty much what's happened, you know, with that tank. But when I, uh, Remy, the, the aquascape that you're talking about in terms of the, um, the carob seed life rock, that was the uh, the rock that I used for the uh, the rescape of my 187 gallon tank. You know that was a process. That was a process in terms of um, I bought it from a local fish store that had actually was cycling it, so it was dry rock. But the the person at the local fish store had a big system where a big vat where he had a whole bunch of the um, life rock in it, and he was um, cycling with other live rock so um i think the rock that i purchased was in there for two weeks but i decided to dry it out you know my uh my goal was to try to like put together kind of like one of those um um what's the um the uh the word i'm looking for in terms of the um the um negative space aquascape yeah the nsa aquascape so I, uh, I took my time. I dried it out. I used the, um, the, um, the putty, the super glue, what have you, and, and put it together. And I think that was um, like 90 pounds, or I can't remember off the top of my head, at 187-gallon tank. So it was not a lot of rock, but I bought all arches. So it was cool, you know, and I spent like a week kind of playing around with different things, and, and then I just kind of like let it cure once I had put all the putty and the glue together, you know, dry. And then I um, soaked it in a Rubbermaid tub with established tank water. I think I had it in there for like six, seven, eight months or something. It was adding bacteria um, over that time. And 
was running a little light over it during that time. So trying to turn that dry rock into live rock. And I was doing, I think it was like 10% weekly water changes with established tank water to, to move that process along. And I think it worked pretty well, but I did, as I mentioned in the earlier part of the show, I did have certainly some ugly stages of that tank when I put that rock into the uh, display tank. Yeah, I was going to ask you. This is a this is a question that I actually have for you later, but what, we're on it right now, so I might as well just ask you. But your thoughts on live rock over dry rock? Um, I think my biggest worry is when you grab up live rock from your local fish store, you don't really know what's coming, and you've used and do use KP Aquatic stuff, which you know I believe they pull that right from the ocean too, so you can get anything and everything. What's your experience been with you know the unwanted stuff that comes along with those those rocks? Yeah, so I, I, I bought um, that stuff from KP Aquatics, and it was great experience because they shipped it to me overnight, actually in water. So it, uh, it wasn't like in newspaper, like wet newspaper. It came in, in boxes, you know, inside of bags with actual water, seawater. So, I mean, there was everything in that thing. I mean, there was like these gigantic serpent starfish that are still to this day in the tank. There was also a bunch of uh, pistol shrimp. There was uh, some mantis uh, shrimp in that rock. But what, um, what, you, what, what I did was high um, salinity dips. So I think I did two sets of those where you, um, and there was instructions on the KP Aquatics website in terms of how to do that. So you're just basically raising the salinity to a point where these uh, unwanted critters are going to start crawling out of the rock because they're uh, unhappy. And that way you can kind of pluck them out. And I, I did pluck out all these uh, critters that did, um, you know, the serpent starfish, pistol shrimp, whatever came out, I did pluck them out, put them in um, some tank water, and I brought them to my local fish store. So I didn't, you know, they, they didn't perish during the process. I just got them out of there. Um, you know, a couple did make it through the high salinity dips. So I, I did have a mantis shrimp in the, uh, in the tank. I think within uh, the first few weeks I noticed it. But luckily, it was hanging out on a rock on the top of the reef, so I didn't have any corals in there at that point in time. So it was pretty easy to, um, you know, pull that rock out and flush that uh, that little dude out of there. So that was, um, you know, so and 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 there were some pistol shrimp that are still uh, were still clicking away probably for a good year, year and a half. But you know, if, as long as you're not freaking out by that sound because it sounds like breaking glass, <laughs> you know, then uh, they, they seem to be pretty harmless to me. And there was like also some um, suspect crabs that uh, made it through. So, yeah, I mean, that's that is always the, um, you know, the risk you take with bringing in, you know, live rock as those critters. But, uh, you know, I will have to say that my tank cycled within a week. Um, I did wait six to eight months before I put corals into that tank. But the tank has been a, a growing machine for corals. And, and I do really believe that the live rock played a big part. I, I did have one tank that I started totally with dry rock years and years ago. And it was, you know, I had a bad experience. It was just one problem after another, bacterial bloom, dinos, uh, you name it, I had it. It was just very, very frustrating. And so I eventually broke that tank down after a couple of years and, and did a big reboot. I, I was in um, Florida in the Orlando area. I was um, passing through there and there was a local fish store that had at that time Haitian live rock, which uh, you can't get these days. 
So when I got there, they got a big shipment of this Haitian live rock, and I was like a kid in a candy store. So that I stuff just, was so cool. Yeah, I so um, I cherry picked um, about 120 pounds of the Haitian live rock, and um, it's a funny story because um, you know we we uh, they they packed it for me in three uh, five different boxes or whatever it was, and I got to the airport and you know I was went to the sky cap to check the uh, the boxes and. And they're like, uh, these boxes are too heavy. You can't go through. Um, and plus, it's going to cost you like uh, $600 something dollars the way it is. But these guys, uh, you know, they're working for tips. Like, all right, we're going to figure this out. We're going to figure this out. So they found these three bigger boxes, and they put them in the three bigger boxes. And um, somehow um, it, uh, you know, cut the mustard there and, and passed their uh, their certain criteria for for transporting the um the rocks on the plane so i think i only paid like um might have been like under four hundred dollars or something to have to fly the rocks home but what was i gonna do leave them at the airport you know i was like i had this mother load of haitian live rock i was like not gonna leave it at the airport but so i got it i got it home i think i got it into the um into my rubbermaid tub for uh within 13 hours after picking it up from the local fish store so yeah, I you know it's not hard. It's it's not easy these days to find live rock. I know uh, KP Aquatics. I think somebody told me that they're right now out of um, stock on the live rock. I know there's Tampa Bay Saltwater uh, local fish stores or another hobbyist. I think if uh, you're lucky enough to be able to um, find live rock from um, another hobbyist or a local fish store, that's that's a great score. Some people you know firmly believe in starting tanks with dry rock and. I'm not in that camp. I guess I'm uh, I'm old school and and would never go down that road again if I didn't have to. If if I could um, you know hold on to what I have currently for the rest of my reef keeping career, I I will to to uh, you know restart a tank or a system. But uh, I think it's just it's a in in my opinion it's a longer road to go to in terms of starting a tank with with dry rock i mean the big advantage is that you can create a really cool aquascape and do some awesome things that you just can't do with live rock but you know again like we we're talking about before the um if you do things right the corals are going to grow and they're going to cover up that scape yeah see i'm, I'm on the opposite spectrum um yeah. when i when i did my home reef way back it was a mix of that Haitian rock and then Marshall Island rock. You remember mm. the Marshall Island stuff? Yeah. Yeah, that stuff was incredible. Yeah, that it was, was the incredible. Best live rock ever. And it was super, super light and super porous. So yeah. while you paid a fortune per pound, since each rock didn't weigh very much, like volumetrically, it was way cheaper than the the garbage that they were sending over from Fiji that were just solid boulders of just yeah. pure weight. Um so, you know, now you can't get any of that stuff. Like you said, I don't do any tank at all with live rock. Every single system that we put up, it's all with the dry rock now. And God, I mean, when it started, the dry rock was always, I mean, your, your options were white and, or, or a painted rock where the, the paint is going to fade and it's going to look like shit almost immediately. But now there's new product out, right? You've got the new Carib Sea Rock that looks incredible. And you've got really great shapes. It's not heavy. There's so much you can do. But the best part about it for me is you control 
everything. There's, I remember all of the bad stuff that was in my tank and it wasn't just the, the, the crabs and the shrimps and the, you know, the, the different stars and things like that, that I didn't want, but it was all the different type of algaes that were introduced, just all of those type of critters. And it took me forever to get the rock clean where I, how I wanted them. Um, so now you can control that process and you can add the biodiversity by getting grunge or sand from other people's systems and putting it in your tank. I mean, that stuff's going to proliferate pretty quickly, but not just knowing I haven't introduced all that garbage into these brand new clean systems. That's everything for me. It's, it's no different for me than it is to like dip your corals or quarantine your fish, right? You don't take a fish right out of the ocean or right from your local fish store and dump it in your tank because of all of the pathogens that they're going to have. It means after all, it's a wild animal and these live rocks are no different. And then again, if, if you're getting it now from another hobbyist or from a store that's been recycled that many times, I don't know if you're really going to get any of those pests anymore. A, uh, it's always kind of a bit of a uh, wild card, but you know, I mean, that's the beauty of this hobby, right, man? There's always different options to uh, to go, and and um, oh, yeah. there's always a lot of different um, reasons to to choose one versus the other. And th- and there's two paths, right? We both take, uh, let's say, we're we're taking two different paths, but we're going in the same direction. And when we get to that destination, uh, we're celebrating that destination. Right. Like I can look at your aquarium and appreciate everything that you've done and, and appreciate the corals and the fish. And it doesn't matter that you made different decisions or you did it differently. I mean, that's it's just great. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's uh, I want to transition real quick to some coral stuff. I thought that was a great aquascape talk. And thank you for answering the question. It, you know, I still don't know what I'm going to do there. Uh, <laughs> but that's mainly because Raj chimed in. Um, <laughs> I, your stickhead, you've at, you wrote a book on it. You've got classes on it, all the things. From your experience personally, what are three good beginner SPS or acros or whatever and three of the more difficult SPS that you've had in your care? Hmm. I would definitely recommend starting with Montipora. You know, those seem to be uh, branching Montes or encrusting Montes. Those are very, um, you know, can be very forgiving, I find. And and um, so, yeah, whenever somebody kind of reaches out to me and asks me that, that question in terms of what direction they should go in terms of, um, you know, starting with the uh, the sticks, I always direct them to, uh, to Montipora. And then Stylophora is another, you know, coral that I – I think is a, a good kind of beginner SPS, uh, coral. Um, you know, then, then there's kind of like some, uh, some old school corals, like a green Valley Slimer is a, um, can grow like a weed. So I think those are good test corals for people that are kind of dipping their toe in that water for the first time to kind of see if they have success before spending a, a lot of money on, um, you know, Acropora and, and, and there can be some very pricey uh, pieces and, and, you know, there's the whole name game thing that, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you guys want to get into that and whatnot, but that's probably been 
beaten to death pretty good. But, um, you know, so there's there's a marketing thing and, and um, the crazy names and the big price tags that go along with those corals. You know, in, in terms of answering the other part of that question, if I, uh, if I can recall what you're asking there, Remy, the, the corals that I have the toughest uh, time with, I think um, strawberry shortcakes yeah. seem to be very um, persnickety, let's say. They can, I, I find them to be pretty sensitive. I had this um, one coral, the BC Hyperberry, which is one of the most gorgeous strawberry shortcakes I've ever had. And um, this uh, coral was like the only coral in, in my system that turned brown at one point in time. You know, I was losing some, I, I lost the, uh, the mother colony. I lost some frags. Um, but I was actually able to save a, uh, one of the frags and, and, um, I, I replanted it in my rebooted 187 gallon tank and, you know, it, and it, it was brown, but I just kept it in there and kept it in there for months and it started to color back up. So, you know, who knows what happened, but it just seemed that that strawberry uh, shortcake morph was a very sensitive, um, coral. And then there's, um, you know, there's others out there. I think Millipora can be pretty sensitive too. I think that um, that's another one that, that folks might find to be um, a more advanced coral for them in terms of SPS. That um, and that's one of my favorite uh, SPS out there. It's just me too. Awesome, awesome colors and just gigantic polyp extension. Yeah, but shaggy. Yep, shaggy. So they can. Uh, they can definitely be challenging. I've, I've found them to be very, um, you know, challenging over the years and smooth skin corals too can be, can be kind of dif difficult. They might not react well to dips, you know, like a, um, a Tyre red dragon or an Oray, Oray Hawkins. Those, um, types of smooth skin corals can also be, um, a challenge to ship, but, um, you know, and then if you want to get into specific names, the uh, the Holy Grail, I believe, is the Tyree Purple Monster, and and uh, man, that thing is a slow grower, and it's 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 tough to keep, you know. It <laughs> it demands a lot of light, a lot of flow, and so uh, and it's tough because the slower the coral grows, the more shit can happen to it over time, right? So there's that's that's the whole thing. If you've got a coral that's growing really fast. And you could frag it and you could plant another frag and an, another uh, system or give it to a reef keeping buddy. And at least you got a backup. But when you've got a slow growing coral, uh, SPS coral, then um, that becomes difficult. And that's why that coral is so, uh, I think, rare in the hobby these days. It's, it's, it's reputation for just growing so slow. Yeah. I know you and, mm. you and Chris were geeking out about that That purple monster coral in the last and kind of commiserating on how slow it does actually grow <laughs> oh yeah man I, I i had that coral in um an old system that grew like a weed and um it was under metal halides four white metal halides and and but i was running the uh, the old um magnetic ballast you know these days you, you can't find those magnetic ballast i think uh tulio at reef bright is uh, starting to manufacture them, but uh, you know the the whole trick was you know running running like 400 watt radium bulbs and overdriving them on the magnetic ballast to really kind of get more oomph out of the uh, out of the light bulbs. So that's what I was doing back then when the coral was really growing 
very, very fast. And so I've got it. I've got a little mini colony now that's under uh, 400 watt 20k radiums, but it's on a uh, an electronic ballast. So uh, you know, I think that might be one reason why it's not growing as uh, as fast. And then I've got an, um, another frag of that coral in my my LED uh, system in my uh, Peninsula tank system that's probably got better coloration, but it's um, it's still taking uh, you know its sweet time to grow. Um, but yeah, you know, so I think. Gotcha. There's there's a lot of corals out there that can be a challenge. I think it also just kind of depends on the uh, on the on the system. People have certain people have luck with certain corals and others don't. But I think in general you could probably say that Miliopora can be a challenge. And uh, for me personally, strawberry shortcakes can be a little quirky. If you want an easy one, but you want to hate your gotcha. life, uh, Pacillopora denmacornis. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, super easy, but. You're gonna hate yourself because it'll start start a little having a little baby pacillopora all yes, over the place. Yes, it will, and it'll just, it'll kill any any coral it comes in contact with. Yeah, God, it's such a bastard of a coral. Yeah. Like, now I was I was just gonna mention the uh, the cat's paw again, but I already talked about um, Stellaphora, which is the uh, yep. name for Stellaphora. It's Syria. Uh, Syria tapora was always a the bird's nest was always a tough one because it would grow. Really quickly, it grow really well, and then one day it just decides it's done with, and you'd have this huge colony, or even you have multiple colonies and all together, and one of them just decides it's going to RTN on you. No rhyme or reason, but they always do it. I'd, I'd always give uh, Joe Iolo crap up at uh, Long Island um, Aquarium because he had one right there, dead center, right at the very front, that just decided to give up one day and um uh gosh i don't remember what sh- why we were up there we're at a show and uh julian and i went over to go hang out at the aquarium and we took all these pictures just mocking joe and making fun of him it was, it was fantastic uh but it, you know at the same time knowing that we have these same issues ourselves but if you get a chance to kick your friend while he's down then you obviously have to take that opportunity and <laughs> kick him while he's down so Bird's Nest is uh, one of those SPS corals that I feel like a lot of beginners get into and have instant success with a lot of times. I remember my first Bird's Nest, as we all do. Uh, you know, you buy the little $20, $15 frag at the LFS and the little green Bird's Nest just starts to take off. And I think I still have the skeleton of when it decided to just RTN one night and go away. Um, but I think because of its rapid growth, you know, it starts to shade itself out, and you know, if you're not keeping a close eye on it, it has a tendency to do that, and um, so it can be frustrating. And just know, I feel like if you are one of the beginners and you are going into the bird's nest category, just know that it, you'll probably have some decent success off the bat. But just know, it's like it may just go away one day. But there are also hobbyists that I've seen that have have had bird's nests for years and years and years. And, and for a lot of the coral farmers that I know, it's one of their best sellers still. They'll always bring it to any frag swap because it'll, it'll always sell. So, I mean, it's a great looking coral. It, the growth pattern on it is amazing. We know that it does well when it's going to do well, right? So it's an easy one to, to grow. It's an easy one to frag. It just, it's a, it's a great coral, but it is going to piss you off because it's going to RTN eventually. And, but the good thing is, is you, as long as you have a frag of it, you can replace it and it'll, it'll grow out quick enough. 
Yeah, I think the key with those bird nests is to like stay ahead of it. And when you start to see kind of like it getting really, really big, then go ahead and just chop it back, you know, take yeah. a big chunk and just kind of replant it because it will eventually, um, you know, grow upon itself and just shade the innards of it. And then just, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you, you get that uh, STN going on. Yeah, I mean, absolutely right. The uh, it's a, it's a, it's such a uh, hardy coral. I mean, I, I had like uh, frags like littered on the bottom of my sand bed from knocking into like some of my big birds' nests, and they're like thriving, you know, on the bottom of the sand bed, barely getting any light. So, it just shows you how resilient they are in a, you know, in a certain way. Keith, what's something that you believe in the hobby that not many people agree with you on? Live rock. Not a lot of people like uh, agree with me on that. Like Raj doesn't agree with me about the live rock, but um, yeah, I um, I've had my experience with the dry rock and wasn't the greatest experience. And I'll I'll take the um, I'll take the negatives in terms of what comes along with the um, with the live rock. I I, I know that um, there is going to be some unwanteds with that, and and you know the large majority of people that are starting reef tanks these days are starting them with dry rock, but you know, I also agree with Raj that um, you can certainly find ways to seed it with, um, you know, whether it's uh, reef rubble or some live sand or there's other great products out there, too. Uh, like the Miracle Mud I've heard is really good. I've never used it. Um, there's a lot of bacteria products out there to, to help start those uh, dry rock tanks. But I don't know. It's just been my experience that I've, I've done much better, gotten off the ground running quicker when I start the tanks with, with live rock. But, you know, be honest with you, I'm not exactly sure where I'd be able to find the live rock these days if I didn't have it, you know, myself. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing is, can yeah. you even find it? Is is live rock even coming in anymore? I think there's been, I've heard that, there, that there's been a lot coming in from, I don't know, a lot, but Australia, I guess, there's been some Australian live rock that's mm. been coming in. So I've heard people using that. But, um, and I mentioned the KP Aquatics doesn't have currently any in. Maybe yeah. it's their premium live rock, but yeah. I think the biggest danger to live rock is just that it is pulling from the oceans, right? So from an environmentalist point of view and perspective, if we are going to be good stewards of, of these reefs and the oceans, then we need to pull less out of it. If we have a viable option that we can do domestically that is not, affecting the coral reef then i think that's the better way to go um especially with the current climate of where where a lot of these bans and restrictions are coming in play right so we need to have our moments we need to have our wins we need to show that we are doing things responsibly and while there are certain fish that we can't breed yet and so we can responsibly get them from these fisheries Rock is something that we do have a solution for. Yeah, I think I think some of these places, I know KP Aquatics, they farm it. So they'll take like the dry rock yep. and they'll they'll soak it, you know, they'll dump it in the ocean or whatnot and they'll sit there for a couple of years. But I hear what you're saying. Yeah, and, and I think that's a great way of doing it. I mean, that's very similar to what, you know, that's maricultured corals. I mean, that those are great. You get to grow them out in the wild, but they're not taken from a reef. Right. So yeah, definitely. That, that definitely that's a nice happy medium. But I don't know, Remy. I've I've kind of like uh, I've changed my ways over the years. You know, there's been things that uh, I've been stuck on, like metal halides, and, and now I'm a convert in terms of LEDs. Um, 
you know, I didn't uh, really do a lot of ICP testing, maybe did an ICP test once a year or something like that. And, and now I've kind of turned around and I'm doing it, um, you know, at least monthly. So I think we as reef keepers certainly need to be able to adapt and things that I had been kind of stuck on in my ways for years and years and years, I have uh, kind of changed my tune. Hopefully for yeah, the better. Do you think that that's one of the things that I appreciate about your channel is uh, is that you do consider you know what the what the next technology is going to be, and you start to toy around with that kind of thing, and maybe not accept it right off the bat, but at least give it a shot. And I feel like there's you know that's 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 one of the complaints at least from new school and old school is old school not wanting to and just complaining about new school all the time but i like that you actually get into it and dive into it and actually test it out i think that that's one thing that i like about your channel new school shouldn't be on my damn lawn <laughs> <laughs> yeah like you know dosing bacteria you know I, you know i still don't know in terms of the full benefits of dosing bacteria i'm dosing bacteria to really help with nutrient uh, control I've, I've um gone off the macro i'm not using macro anymore so i'm really kind of leaning on dosing bacteria to help you know with the uh, nitrates and the phosphates but you know what are the benefits of the corals are there benefits of the corals are they um consuming that bacteria that we're dosing into our tanks. What is the bacteria that we're dosing into our tanks? You know, is, um, are the skimmers pulling it out? There's, there's a whole bunch of questions. Do you need to dose bacteria con constantly? You know, uh, bacteria do multiply rapidly. Is it necessary to dose bacteria daily or weekly? I don't know the answer to all those questions, but you know, there are some things that I do that I don't fully understand, but I think that, uh, you know, you got to kind of like look at the tank. You got to look at the corals. And if the corals are happy, then perhaps there's not a reason to kind of change up what you're doing. I really have uh, one more topic I kind of want to hit on with you is the topic of bare bottom tanks. And I know that your peninsula, did that start off as a bare bottom? You, you, that was straight up bare bottom from the start, right? Yeah, that was the first bare bottom tank I ever uh had done and quite frankly i'm not sure I, i'm ever going to go back to sand because uh you know i'm a stickhead i like to have a lot of flow in the tank and with the peninsula tank it's six foot long by three foot wide by 20 inches tall and i just um i kind of said to myself you know i'm gonna have to have a lot of flow cranking in that thing because that's going to be sps dominant tank I'm not exactly sure I'm going to be able how I'm going to be able to keep kind of the sand from not blowing all over the place. So I, I kind of made that call from the beginning to like just go bare bottom, try that out, and it's been great. You know, I talked about before with my other tank and how that um, I took the sand bed out of that, and and it was easy to spot the uh, detritus in certain parts of that tank. So with the Peninsula tank, it's a it's the same deal. I get all the detritus pretty much collecting on one end of the tank. And it's so easy to, to take it out of that, um, you know, that end of the tank, siphon it right out. So um, the one thing I do miss is having like the wrasses in, in the tank, but I just find it to be uh, more manageable in terms of keeping it cleaner look for me, at least in terms of the bare bottom. And the corals seem to love it in terms of the flow that I get going in that tank. I've got 
four MP40s and two MP60s cranking in that 225 gallon tank. So there's um, there is a lot of flow going on in there. So as you just did a video on the rasses. There are rasses that don't need sand beds. Yes, that that is correct. And in fact, um, what uh, you're talking about, Hunter Hammond, the uh, the RAS guy, the um, he was he was a guest on the uh, on on the show, and you know he also mentioned that you can put a little container of sand in a bare bottom tank for rasses that do require sand and, and that should be sufficient. You know, the one thing that he did say is that, um, you know, over time the sand in those little containers will kind of get um, spilled out into the bare bottom. So you will be doing a little siphoning for the sand, but yeah, so you can, you can do that. I haven't, um, I haven't done that. I haven't thought about doing that in that tank because I don't really have a great spot to do it in terms of putting a container in there with, with some sand. I think with my other tank, it would be easier to do that because there's, um, you know, there's a back to that tank. But Peninsula, there's viewing on the three sides. I think it would be kind of tougher to hide it. Are you going bare bottom, so uh, Remy, in that new, new tank? Tubs. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to go bare bottom on this. And that's uh, kind of a tribute to Jake. But also, I've, I've also done sand tanks my entire hobby. So I just want to see what it's like to not have that sand bed. And like you, I'm not a super awesome at keeping it. So it's, <laughs> you know it's it gets dirty it gets unsightly and it's never always white or um you know visually appealing but uh yeah i've heard the tub technique i just i just visualized uh this would probably be a great shirt for like mr saltwater tank or something but a bunch of rasses in one of like a tupperware bin just you know saying good night to each other in the bare bottom <laughs> tank <laughs> yeah but uh yeah i think that's the one thing that i really want to explore because i can with a bigger tank now is the wide array of fish that you can you know put in a larger tank and you know there's so many great wrasses out there and uh i don't know if there would be a spot to put one of those tubs but i'd be i'd be willing to uh to experiment with that for sure yeah i, lo I love wrasses and i do miss having them but i you know i might i might try that little tub idea in that one tank if you take a piece of Tupperware and then you uh, glue on sand and rock to the outside, it can almost disappear mm. if you put it towards the back of the tank. Interesting. That's the only way that I've been able to uh, live with myself by doing that. Because it, if I can see it, I'm going <laughs> to hate it. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to be a good look. Yeah. Raj... Roger's so bougie that he's 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 making little in-ground pools for his rasses. <laughs> <laughs> little umbrellas. Yeah. Well, I I don't want to. Uh, yeah, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, mainly because this delay is just absolutely insane tonight. And I'm thinking what it might be now that I'm like putting all the all the pieces together. We're we're in the middle of 115 degrees of heat right now, and I don't oh, know if that has man. anything to do with. Yikes. communications or you know server rooms or things like that around the area but yeah it's it's not been awesome not been pleasant as far as like heat goes so uh but is there anything you want to touch on before we uh before we get out of here i appreciate you guys uh having me on this is uh it's always fun talking reef and and uh you know i think it's very educational to have these kind of conversations and hopefully people out there that are listening and watching and whatnot or are, are picking up some tidbits that potentially help them out. I, I think 
sharing information and sharing experiences is always a very important thing in this hobby, whether you've been in the hobby for a very, very long time or a very short time. And, and, you know, it's all about helping one, one, uh, you know, another reefer out. So that's what it's all about. Absolutely. And thanks for coming on, you know, thanks for hanging out with us. It was, it was fun. Cool. Yeah, we'll definitely have to have you back whenever, <laughs> whenever I can actually have a, you know, a, a, a non-delayed conversation here. Jeez, yeah, you're gonna have to get that fixed there, Remy, in a couple of weeks, you know? man. When when you're on my show. <laughs> yeah, I will. I'll, I'll I'll call up the internet company for sure. But if you've got any questions for uh, Keith or Raj or myself, please leave them in the comments section below. Uh, we do our best to get to those each week. I feel like Keith is, you know, he's been an educator in this space for so long and. Uh, obviously he's willing to help where he can so definitely hit him up in the comment section if you've got any questions from our talk today if listening to the audio only version just hit us up on the reef builder socials whether that be facebook or the uh, instagram page just want to say thanks for watching and listening and we will see you in the next one we'll see you guys bye bye bye